The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to the Orange is the New Black Podcast. I'm your host, Ace Boogie. My co-host, Zim, was unable to make it, so I'm flying solo today. But we're here to talk about week one. And one thing that I wanted to do is definitely do a preview of the Bengals and Chargers. Now, I know that you guys know that we pretty much have the Bengals insight, but I really wanted to get the Chargers insight. So I had the pleasure of speaking with a Sports Illustrated writer by the name of Fernando Ramirez. So thankfully, Fernando was able to stop by and we were able to talk things Bengals versus Chargers. So I hope you enjoy this and take a listen. All right. Welcome, everybody, to New Stripe City, a diehard YouTube channel for diehard Bengals fans. I'm your host, Ace Boogie, and I'm I'm really excited about this guest that we have today. Uh, we're bringing on Fernando Ramirez of the Sports Illustrated World. He covers the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, for those that are not aware of you, of, of his work, uh, Fernando, just give them a little bit of insight to what you do. Hey, well, thank you for having me on. Uh, I cover the Chargers for Sports Illustrated. I've been covering the team since... Uh, I think Tom Telesco and I got there at the same time, right around the same time in uh, 2013. Uh, I was just doing some intern stuff and I was around the team and I got to know guys like Ken Allen, Melvin Ingram and some of these guys. And uh, once I graduated, I got a job with NBC San Diego, uh, worked with them for three years. And now I'm at Sports Illustrated, just started about a month ago. So uh, the team's familiar. Uh, I'm familiar with the team. The team's familiar with me. So. Uh, yeah, I know a little bit of the work that I've been doing lately is just uh, because of everything going on with COVID, uh, we don't get that one-on-one interaction anymore. So it's a little bit, I'm trying to do a little bit more feature stuff because some of the fans, because they don't get to go to practice, they don't know who the players are, who some of the new guys are. So I try right. and write some of those stories to kind of get them uh, familiar with the players, try and get them an inside scoop. I mean, honestly, reporters like me are, are the eyes for the fans. So Thanks. we're there. We're trying to get them the uh, the best possible coverage. And that's a little bit of what I do. Right. Right. Perfect. And that's why we wanted to bring you on, because, uh, you know, like you said, you guys know the pulse of the team. There's no one that knows the team more than you can. And especially in these situations, you literally like with them not having fans at games and stuff like that. You guys are literally even closer. 
so the first thing that I wanted to talk about, I know that you said that you kind of interned and got familiar with the team. It was it was a disappointing season for Philip Rivers last season, right? And we kind of felt like, even as an outsider looking in, I kind of knew that there was some friction there because he really didn't want to move all the way to LA. And he just didn't have a great season last season. So he ended up moving on from the Chargers. But what what really happened with Philip Rivers last year? Was it just that Father Tom kind of caught up with them? Was this just not uh, you know, the perfect marriage anymore? Or, or what was your opinion of what happened with Philip Rivers last season? I truly think it's a little bit of everything. I mean, yes, like you said, Philip was kind of uh, his time was coming down. Uh, the Chargers needed to move on. It was time, um, but it it was a little bit of like yes, Father Time is starting to catch up with Philip Rivers. But the offensive line also was uh, was kind of a mess. Uh, Russell Okung missed a couple of games due to a, a pulmonary. Um, uh, due to a pulmonary reason, and then uh, you had some guys going down with injuries. They're just Mike Pouncey left after a week. Uh, he got hurt after a week, I think four or five. So it it was just it was just the perfect storm of everything that could go wrong went wrong. The Chargers actually were in a lot of those games last year, and it was one of those things where you're like, okay, they're in these games. They lost a lot of uh, one score games. And it was because Philip Rivers would be making a mistake late. At times, it looked like he was just chugging it into the ends or chugging it up there, and it would get intercepted. And you're kind of like, well, what's going on? And it's, it just did not look pretty last year. Uh, I, I just think that both uh, the organization and Philip Rivers uh, said it was time. He was on a Pat McAfee show the other day, and he said that uh, he noticed that the Chargers kind of wanted to move on, get somebody young, and that he thought, you know what, maybe it's time for me to move on as well and um and try something else new and he moved his family out to um he moved his family to florida and then he was kind of like okay well let me see what happens will somebody like me does somebody want to pick me up and indy came calling and he's like okay let's move now we move uh all those 10 kids or nine kids up to indianapolis so you move from <laughs> san diego to indianapolis or to uh, florida to indianapolis so uh that's yeah. not an easy thing to do but uh, but honestly, like it was just uh, the time for the Chargers to uh, to get something new. And then obviously the scheme, Anthony Lynn, I think, wanted an athletic quarterback. I think he wanted somebody who could move in the pocket, do quarterback rollouts, do uh, a lot of different stuff. And that's what we we've been seeing from the team. Uh, the media has during practice. They've been moving Tyrod Taylor around. Justin Herbert obviously can move uh, and Easton Stick can move. So they're moving them out all around the field. Uh, having them do rollouts come out and all that stuff. So you can tell that the scheme has changed now that, because I mean, Philip Rivers is one of those old school, stay in the pocket, uh, take the hits, but uh, release the ball and all that. So yeah, no, it was just, it was one of those things where it was time and uh, both Philip Rivers and the Chargers did uh, the correct thing. They both said, Hey, we're deciding to part ways. No, uh, he said, he said uh, what happened. So it was a good, it was a good ending to a, a a great fourteen to six or fourteen year with him under center, sixteen years of him being with the organization, uh, ending to a relationship. Oh yeah, definitely. That that definitely put a nice bow on it. So you kind of brought up uh, Justin Herbert and Tyrod Taylor, and I've been watching some Hard Knocks. So I've been watching Hard Knocks Los Angeles, <laughs> and you know, obviously with this draft, with us picking Burrow. Uh, there were a lot of people that were also torn between Tua and Justin Herbert at, at some points before we really got into it. Like early on, you might not have known, but early on, a lot of people were linking Justin Herbert to the Bengals. Uh, obviously, yeah. that that's played out differently. And for what I've grasped, at least just from hard knocks is 
Justin Herbert has an amazing arm. He's super talented, but it doesn't seem that he's ready yet. And I think from some of the clips that I watched, uh, guys on defense were saying that he was kind of giving plays away and stuff like that. And obviously, Anthony Lynn has come out and said that Tyrod is going to pretty much start this season. Uh, what are your thoughts on what Tyrod brings to the table? And is he going to really be the legitimate guy for all season? Or is he just kind of a stand in until Justin Herbert can come in next year and take the reins? And what are your opinions from what you've seen from Justin Herbert as well? Well, first and foremost, Tyrod Taylor's on a one year contract or well, he signed a two year contract last year. He would be a free agent going into this offseason. So that honestly, it's going to be a mystery to a lot of us if they're going to be willing to keep Tyrod, sign him to a new deal. After this season, I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna come down to what happens this year. Uh, if the Chargers end up making it to the playoffs, they go deep. They beat uh, and see, and that's what I've been telling people. I want a Colts Chargers uh, first round matchup or something, just because I'd love to see that dynamic. Uh, but obviously, uh, going to that, if Tyrod takes him to the playoffs, he's healthy all sixteen games. I think the Chargers will uh, could explore maybe franchise tagging him for one year and then keeping him one more year to see what happens. Um, but Justin Herbert is the future of this team. Justin Herbert is uh, a quarterback who, yes, he's made mistakes, but honestly, he's growing from them. And you can see that out here. I think if uh, if they would have had a full offseason, I think this truly could have been a quarterback battle. But because he didn't have the offseason, because everything was via Zoom, he wasn't able to really fully compete just because right now he's learning the basics. And that's what the Chargers are doing with all their rookies. They're learning the basics. They're learning what's the difference between the NFL and uh, and college football. I mean, I don't know if you saw in the clip, uh, Pep Hamilton, who's been a great signing for the Chargers. When, he, when they signed him, I thought, wow, this is an incredible signing just because you know what Pep brings to the team. But uh, if you look at it, like Pep Hamilton goes up to him, he's like, dude, these defensive linemen are as fast as you. Yep. And that is true. These yeah. guys are fast. I mean, Joey Bosa is crazy athletic. Uh, Melvin Ingram is crazy athletic. So these guys are as fast as you. And uh, Justin's understanding that. But one of the things that Justin does is he's such a smart human being that he understands what he's doing wrong. He understands the mistakes that he's making. So that is the, the, the thing about him is that he's understanding what he's doing. He's looking around. He's like, okay, I missed this, but I got this. But I didn't do this, but I did that. So he he's honestly, he's learning from his mistakes, which is the best thing that a rookie could do. I think, honestly, the best thing for him is to redshirt this year, uh, not play. I mean, the only way I could see him playing is, one, if Tyrod Taylor uh, is injured during the season or if in the final game of the season the Chargers are basically either out of the playoffs or in the playoffs, but they can decide to rest some of their guys, then I could see the Chargers throwing him in. They're kind of like what uh, Kansas City did with Patrick Mahomes, right. throwing him in there the final game. Hey, rookie, go out there, learn what it is to be in the NFL, and let's see what you got. And um, but yeah, like you said, Tyra or Tyra, um, Justin has a huge arm. He uh, he is he's honestly impressive. Just, like there's times where he rolls out to the right and he like makes a throw off his back foot, like throwing it. And you're like, oh, my God, that was a 60 yard pass. Obviously, it <laughs> might have been incomplete. But you're right. like, oh, my God, like this kid has talent. This kid has uh, what it takes to be a quarterback. Yes, he did give some stuff away. But you know what? After that episode where he was giving away if it was a run or a pass, when Anthony Lynn told him, keep that same energy for it, I would I would like literally close my eyes and listen to his snap counts. Right. And you could tell he was doing it the same. He was if it was a run, uh, he would be loud. If it was a pass, it was loud. So each time that he did it, it was perfect. And he, I, I could tell he really learned off of that. So honestly, kudos to him. And uh, he's learning. But yeah, like I said, I think it's 
it's going to be a retrograde year for Justin Herbert. No, I think that that's a, a great way to do it because with you having a veteran like Tyrod, there's no better person uh, or environment for him to grow up in because he can yeah. learn from that guy who's been a guy that's been around the league, you know, has been on the Super Bowl winning team, has sat in the rooms with Joe Flacco and guys like that. And I think that that's the perfect environment for him uh, because obviously, like you said, with Corona and everything, it's just really a strange offseason. You just yeah. really don't want to throw him in there. Um through those circumstances, when you have a veteran that's there, obviously the Bengals, we're just going to have to throw Joe Burrow in there because there's no way we're throwing (laughs) Ryan Finley out there week one. Um, But uh, that kind of brings me to another thing that you kind of brought up or another thing that we've kind of heard in the offseason with Derwin James. And I'm I'm a huge Derwin James guy because I actually used to – I live in Florida in Orlando now, but I used to live in Tallahassee. So I was very familiar with uh, the the Florida State Seminoles, and I really wanted – us to draft Derwin James. And when you guys jumped up or when you guys picked him, I was like, oh man, they're getting a great player. And and obviously he's been, you know, massive in the NFL, obviously a top 100 player, Uh, but he goes down last week for, for possibly the season. And then you've got Mike Williams, another guy that I liked coming out of Quint out of Clemson that I wanted for the Bengals. And he goes down. What, what is the impact of those injuries? Because as a Bengals fan, we've always had major injuries happen, like with AJ Green going down and stuff like that. And that's really hurt our team. How do those injuries really impact the chargers this season and going forward? Feels like the Chargers and the Bengals are kind of a mirror of each other. Huh? Like <laughs> it really injuries are. always happens. Uh, you know what? Mike's injury was just like he comes down on it. And what Cardinals didn't show you is all of us, like the media, we were talking, chatting it up and stuff. And as soon and like players were too. As soon as Mike is down the field, it goes dead silent, and everybody's like, "Oh crap!" Because as uh, I mean, I've been, I've been uh, around the Chargers for a while. So I remember when Ryan Matthews tore uh, his um, – oh, my God. I can't remember. His collarbone. He tore right. both – like, he tore his collarbone on his left side and then his right side, I think, on right. different seasons. So, I mean, you've been around that stuff, and you're like, oh. you. And obviously, as the media, we go, okay, it's the Chargers. Let's go to worst-case scenario, broken collarbone. Right. But it ends up being just a, a shoulder injury, which um, – it's funny, we talked to Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator, this week, and he said Mike has to go in uh, week one with the mentality of he's going to play. So that led me to believe that he there might be a possibility that Mike does end up playing uh, in the game. What Mike brings is something different that uh, I don't think – I mean, we've seen with Julio Jones and all these other guys, but I, I truly do think Mike is one of the top 10, uh, one of the top 15, top 10 receivers in the NFL just because he does so – he. When the ball goes in the air, and Tyrod has said this, it's an 80-20 ball. Like, Mike goes up there. I don't know how he does it. And he just comes down with the ball no matter what, who's guarding him, what's going on with him. So it's honestly uh, – he has a great skill set that you don't see in a lot of uh, receivers nowadays. Because I think the NFL is turning into more of a shifty receiver. Guys like Keenan Allen, who are great route runners, who deceive you with their hips, and, uh, right. and they have great hands. But Mike is one of those old school, throw it up to him, and he'll make the, he'll make the catch. So – uh, that's what I asked Keenan the other day. I'm like, do you feel like you and Mike are the gang in the gang of offense or of receivers? He's like, oh, totally. He's like, he goes up there. He grabs, he's one of the best down the field uh, receivers. And I'm one of the best inside receivers where I can shift. I can move. I can do a lot of different things. And, um, and I can, and I'm elusive. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's definitely the best way to describe both of them. So uh, if hopefully, I mean, for those guys, Mike comes back and he's able to, uh, he's able to play because 
Uh, I don't want to say there's a huge drop off between Mike and the next guy up, but uh, it, it, it will be um, it will be difficult uh, for them to beat Cincinnati if Mike's not there. And then Derwin, God, when when you think about it, I mean, two straight years of injuries, and like you said, like he's talented. I mean, hell, as a as a media pl- uh, person, I love watching Derwin James. That's why I was excited to see this season. I was like, okay, Derwin with this all the talent that the Chargers have on defense, I was excited to see him, but. Right. This is the craziest part of the whole thing. Derwin James and Joey Bosa have only been on the field together for 12 games wow. in three years. That's and crazy. that's like, yeah, you're just like, oh, my God, like those two, like, because uh, honestly, if you look at it, um, Joey Bosa is one of the best defensive ends in the in the league. Derwin right. James is one of the best safeties. And you're not able to have that duo out there. So it's one of those things where you're like, golly, like, why can't we just put it all together and see them both on the field? At the same time, but um, but yeah, I know uh, Derwin reminds me a little bit of Keenan when he was first in the league. Uh, first year, boom, everybody's like, oh, wow, okay, maybe they have a baller. Obviously, Keenan was a third-round pick. Uh, Mike or Derwin is a first-round pick, but Keenan was hurt for two years. Two straight years, you're like, oh, my God, no Keenan Allen. Could this be a guy that had all that talent and just can't put it together? Then Keenan puts it together three straight years, three straight Pro, uh, pro Bowls, and yesterday gets rewarded with a brand-new contract. So uh, hopefully Derwin can rebound the way Keenan did and uh, show everybody why he's one of the best safeties in the league. Because honestly, it's this defense isn't going to be fun to watch. With our, obviously, they still have a lot immense talent. They have a lot of talent. But without Derwin, Derwin James just adds a whole new uh, dimension to this defense. Definitely, definitely. So you kind of talked about Keenan Allen. I personally was a Keenan Allen fan. I think, like you said, even following him in in the draft that year, I thought that he should have won in the first round. But obviously, because he had injuries in college and stuff, that kind of pushed him down. And I honestly wanted uh, the Bengals to take him. And we ended up taking Marvin Jones, who's one of his teammates. But I just knew from day one that he he was a special receiver. So obviously, like you said, he's got the big contract. Some people were surprised by that because it was $20 million a year. Uh, do you think that – I personally think that he was deservable of the contract, but do you think that he was deservable of the contract? And do you view Keenan Allen as a top-five receiver? Because most people would say since he's now the second-highest paid receiver, those expectations are going to go up. So what's your opinion on Keenan Allen from the contract standpoint and if he is top-five? I do believe that Keenan is top-five. The thing is we haven't seen a receiver like Keenan in a while. Uh, Keenan's different. He's more of like, he'll beat you. Like, I'm telling you, I watch his footwork. That's what I watch. Like, when I'm watching, the, when we're at the games, I have my binoculars on and I am watching Keenan Allen's footwork when he releases off the line of scrimmage. Like, it doesn't matter if you could put Brandon Brown or a big old cornerback against him. And Keenan's just so elusive that with his uh, footwork, he'll be able to beat him off the line. And it's just one of those things where you're like, oh my, you're in awe because of what he does. He's elusive. He has his numbers. The only thing is that last year, Phillip struggled. The team struggled, and that obviously Keenan Allen is dependent of the quarterback. So if the quarterback struggles, obviously Keenan's going to struggle. But even in such a bad year that the team had last year going 5-11, and 11, Keenan still put up really good numbers. The thing is, is that Keenan doesn't score a lot of touchdowns. He scores six. Like in the last three years, he scored six touchdowns in each of the last few seasons. So that's one of the reasons why a lot of people are like, oh, well, Keenan's not a top player. Another thing is, too, who are the guys that we talk about? Uh Julio Jones, Julio Jones in Atlanta. He went to a Super Bowl recently. Uh, you talk about, and obviously, I mean, yeah, Julio Jones is one of the best uh, receivers in the league. What he does is is incredible. Then you go and you look at Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill won the Super Bowl last year. Tyreek Hill is a big play uh, guy. He's flashy. He's very uh, fast. And that jumps out to you. 
Keenan is like the hard, not, I don't want to say that he's the hard worker. He's the one that digs his, like, he just does everything. And uh, the team hasn't won recently. So obviously you don't think about Keenan Allen because you right. think, oh, well, if a team is winning, that means that their top receiver is doing well. So Keenan was regarded as a top receiver the year that they went 12 and four, but the two seasons in between, he hasn't been regarded as that because the team hasn't won. So, and that's what Casey Hayward and uh, Chris Harris Jr. said. When you win, you're seen as a top player. When you don't, you're seen as an underrated player. So Keenan is looked at as an underrated player because of that. But I do think Keenan's one of the – he is a top five receiver. I just think he's – like what he does. And then another thing is uh, his coach, uh, his receiver's coach, Phil McGagan, he tweeted out, Keenan blocks. And that's a a thing. Like a lot of receivers – I mean, I'm not saying that a lot of receivers don't block, but the way Keenan blocks is nasty. He goes up. He gets you right – like an offensive lineman right in between the numbers – and right. he just will wrestle cornerbacks down. And that's not something that you see typically from a lot of receivers. A lot of receivers will run up and they'll be like, oh, okay, cool. Like, yeah, let's just hold each other right here. Let's chill. <laughs> Keenan right. goes up, grabs you in between the numbers, and he'll try and uh, pancake you, which, like right. I said, you're just it's just not seen from a receiver. So I think Definitely. when you talk about all around, yeah, Keenan Allen is a top five receiver. He was deserving of this money. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how he takes his game to the next level because mm-hmm. – if you look on his Instagram, he's been working hard this offseason. He uh, he said, yeah, COVID's going on, but I still need to work and I still need to uh, prepare myself uh, to take my game to the next level. So, And I think he has uh, done that. Yeah, definitely. I, like I said, I'm a huge Kenny Allen fan he's going yeah. back even before he was drafted there. Um, but one thing that I want to ask though. I love the way he talks on Twitter. He's, <laughs> I just love how he's like, I'm not going to keep quiet anymore. I'm a top five receiver like – Y'all need to stop playing, and I just start laughing. I'm like, oh, that's Keenan. Like, yeah, you got to get that respect. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So um, but before we get out of here, I definitely have to ask you, what are the keys to the game for the Chargers in order for you guys to come in and get a week one win against the Bengals? Uh, I think the coaches have kind of – oh, Melvin Ingram kind of talked about it the other day, and it's uh, and this is for the whole season, not just against the Bengals, but getting to the quarterback. If the Chargers can get – the Chargers got Limbaugh Joseph – he is a huge. He is a huge human being, and uh, it's funny because I wrote a story the other day about the different adjectives that the, uh, his teammates have been using. One guy said a refrigerator with legs. Uh, guys have been saying a mammoth of a human. Joey Bosa called him the strongest lineman he's ever uh, he's ever known. Sam Tevy, the left tackle, was like, "Dude, I got matched up against him, and he just like pushed me back." Obviously, some Charger fans got a little nervous off of that because they're like, whoa, a left tackle shouldn't be getting pushed back like that. But Linval is just humongous. But the thing is, uh, when you look at it, the Chargers have been getting constant pressure from the edges. You never get out up the middle. So a quarterback can step up, step in, and boom. Why the Chargers got Linval Joseph is because they want the guard and the center to be pushed back into the quarterback and the quarterback be suffocated by all the pressure that he just falls right into Melvin Ingram or Joey Bosa's hands. So I thought it was a good signing. Uh, another guy that you're going to uh, hear about is Justin Jones. He's the um, He is the other uh, defensive tackle. He has been putting in the work this offseason. And Joey Bosa, Linval Joseph, Melvin Ingram, coaches have been telling us about him. He's a good uh, against-the-run defensive tackle, but they think that he's put the tools together now to be a good pass-rushing uh, defensive tackle. So okay. um, the team is very excited about him, and I think that is, that's going to be one of the keys. The other key is how is this Charger offense going to uh, – how are they going to be able to play together with no offseason? I mean, the, the, talking to Tyrod Taylor, it seems like being here last year really helped him understand the playbook, and he understood the offense. Uh, got to know Keenan Allen, got to know Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler, and it feels like they're going to be very comfortable. 
I think if he would have came in this offseason, then it would have been a little bit uh, tougher just because he's a new quarterback coming into a new environment. But I think Tyrod, it's going to be interesting to see how the, the offense uh, operates. If the offense can be what uh, a lot of people believe it's going to be, a high-powered offense, uh, you throw the, uh, the ball to Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, spread it around and everything, then the Bengals' defense might be in for a tough day. But I think the Bengals uh, are down Trey Waynes, if I'm – Yep, if that's I'm, correct. Uh, right, yeah. So, I mean, uh, it'll be tough for – because Trey and obviously Keenan uh, have played against each other for a, year, uh, for a couple of years now. So, I think that uh, whatever corner is lined up against, Keenan might have a hard time uh, keeping up with him uh, just because of, like I said, the elusiveness, the speed, the, uh, the way he shifts his hips and everything. But if the Chargers offense can be high-powered and do well, then I think that uh, they'll be able to come out with a victory, but uh, for everything I've been seeing, Cincinnati's no pushover, even though people predict them to be four and 12, five and 11, whatever. I don't, right. I, I know the Chargers are not going in there thinking, oh, this is going to be easy because Cincinnati, Cincinnati's tough and uh, nobody's seen Joe Burrow. And that's the funny part. You, you don't even have practice or uh, uh, preseason game pre film <laughs> of Joe Burrow. So that's, that's the one thing that you're like, oh my God, I wonder what uh, that's going to be so interesting to see. Joe Burrow and uh, in his first and legit in his first NFL game against uh, the Chargers defense. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I would say that most people in Cincinnati are definitely worried about Joey Bosa and like you said, Melvin Ingram and that defensive line, because like you said, it's, it's funny that you said it earlier because I've thought about this because I had a friend of mine that was um, a Chargers fan it's going all the way back to when they were in San Diego. These teams really have very much a lot of things in common. Like it's just <laughs> like they're mirror images of each other. Like you said, yeah. they struggle with injuries we have like the worst luck. Like I used to think that the Bengals were like the team that had the worst luck. And then I met a Chargers fan and I had to learn about everything that you all had been through as well. Um, so like you said, these teams kind of. My bad. Going back to that, to that 2013 playoff game, I yep. thought, oh, the Bengals are going to blow these guys out. I thought, okay, I can start taking up my vacation, see where I'm going to go. Yep. Nope. No vacation for you. <laughs> you had to go to Denver the week after. So I, I was one of those that I was like, dang, I'm like, okay, I guess we're. We're going to continue. I thought the Bengals, because of all the talent that they had, they were just going to blow the Chargers out. And when oh, the Chargers man. won, I was like, oh, wow. I'm like, what is going I still on? Have, I still have nightmares of Danny Woodhead and, like, Ronnie Brown taking off on us that game. <laughs> and still. then he does, the, then he does the, the sprinkler in the in the end zone. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So before we, we get out of here, I want to say thank you for – um, giving us oh, your yeah, time and stuff like that. But I wanted to open the floor because I know you're probably interested in some Bengals stuff. But so did you have any questions for me in terms of like questions that you had about the Bengals going into uh, this game? Uh, Joe Mixon just got a new contract, right? Yes. Joe Mixon did How, get a new contract. He's been, he's been pretty solid for the Bengals for the last few years, hasn't he? Yeah. Joe Mixon has been very good. Uh, so there's, there's two factions of our fan base. There are, Fans, and I, I would probably say that they're in the smaller minority. There are fans that were just like, oh, you don't pay running backs. Look what happened to Gurley. Look what happened to all of these guys around the league. You don't pay running backs. There's a lot of us that uh, were happy, me included, about the extension because Joe Mixon, number one, he's a great running back. He, he actually doesn't get, I think, the credit he really deserves because of how bad, how bad our offensive line was. <laughs> like, if you look at his yeah. numbers at the beginning of the season, it's like a miracle 
And when I talk about that, I mean the first half. It's a miracle that he rushed for 1,100 yards behind that line. But I think the thing that is even more important, and I, I witnessed this in person when I went to the game, he is a guy that just loves football. Like no matter what's going on, even when we only were winning two games last season, he was a guy that was always energetic, and he really kind of became a leader for the team. And I remember wow. at the game that I was at, Unfortunately, it was a 49ers game where we got blown out. But before the game, he's the one coming over to the crowd and pumping everybody up. And he's just got this energy about him that's just infectious, that this guy loves football and he's ready to rally the troops. And we've got a lot of guys that uh, aren't like they're really good on the field. When And when I say that, I mean like A.J. Greens and Geno Atkins, but they're yeah. not really big vocal guys. Like they kind of lead by example. They're not going to kind of rally their troops and stuff like that. And even Andy Dalton, to a sense, he wasn't really a guy that really – you know, commanded the locker room, rallied guys up, but that was Joe Mixon. So I think yeah. a lot of it is not just that he's a running back, but he's low key. Now that we have Burrow, he's kind of stepped into that role. But before that, he low key kind of was like the leader in the locker room. What excites you about Joe Burrow? I think everything about Joe Burrow. I, I mean, I don't, I don't mean the down Andy Dalton or anything, but from day one, I kind of looked at Andy Dalton as a guy who was a quarterback that's just as good as what's around him, right? So if you surround okay. him with great weapons, he's going to give you some solid play. But when one of those guys like A.J. Green goes down or Tyler Eifert or any of those guys goes down, he's not going to be the same guy. He's not a guy that can win you the game. He's not a guy that inspires confidence when you're down by multiple scores. Joe Burrow, I think, is a guy that, number one, inspires confidence. Um, his yeah. attitude, just, just his whole attitude, like, uh, before we even had the first scrimmage, he had a rough he had a rough day, similar to Justin Herbert. He was out there yeah. throwing interceptions, getting sacked. And the next day, he's like the first guy in, in the locker room, first guy on the field, and he just completely torches the defense without having an AJ Green or any of his starting receivers. And when oh, I wow. saw that, it was just like, man, this guy, this guy is crazy. And the fact that they're also trusting him to make um changes on uh, on the fly like if he goes up there he's allowed to audible out of stuff i think what's so impressive about him is his iq um how fast he's picking on the things and i heard guys like aj green even came out and said joe's gonna be great for the next 15 years which i thought was kind of crazy because it's like you know he's a rookie this is covid we've only seen certain stretches but i think based on just going back to college and everything you just kind of get this confidence when you're behind joe now obviously we have to see this stuff happen uh, but from what I've seen with like fans that have gone, obviously fans aren't allowed at the scrimmages, but in Cincinnati, there's literally a bridge. And I always want worry about this, especially when it comes to Bill Belichick. There's literally a bridge in Cincinnati <laughs> that you can sit on and watch practice. Um, so a lot wow. of fans have have actually watched him from there and they've said that he's thrown nothing but dimes. So I'm excited to see that because we've gone from a quarterback that relies around everyone being around him. And and guys that we've had around him haven't been the healthiest. Um, and yeah. so Joe Burrow, to me, what excites me about him is that he can raise the level of guys around him if they go out. Similar to Phillip Rivers, um, might I add, you know, when Keenan Allen and guys would go down, you know, you get Dez Ajutu yeah. coming out and catching two touchdowns on you. Yeah. So, so it, that aspect of it definitely intrigues me. I think if he wins you guys a Super Bowl, instead of just lighting a cigar, he's going to light it with like, hundred with hundred dollar bills. I think that's how he would uh, he would definitely do it. 
Oh, but definitely. Really... They would they would worship him here forever. <laughs> oh if he my wants god, they build him a statue <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, hey, I want to be respectful of your time, Fernando. Oh, uh, so, it. so thanks for coming on. But before you get out of here, let Bengals fans and just people that are watching this in general, I'm sure we'll get some Chargers fans on here. Let them know where they can find your stuff because it's really quality stuff. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, Sports Illustrated. Just put Chargers on there, and it'll take you to my site. Uh, obviously on Twitter at real F Ramirez, uh, I'll be doing some stuff this week about, uh, Joe Burrow and just how the chargers might attack him and everything. So, um, definitely be on the lookout for that. And I honestly, I appreciate you having me on the show and, uh, and anytime you want to have me on, I'd be happy to do it. Well, that concludes our show. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Orange is the New Black podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast under the name Cincy Jungle in your podcast platform store. And also be sure to follow me on Twitter at New Stripe City. Follow Zim at Zim Hude. Be sure to follow Zim on Instagram at Zim underscore Hude. And follow me on Instagram at New Stripe City. And then you can also find my stuff on New Stripe City on YouTube. Uh, so that's going to be it for the show. Hopefully the Bengals get out of this week one with a win. I think that they could. Uh, but as usual, we'll leave you guys with a who day. <laughs>